Hello, Adrian here from SoFeast. I'm hosting today and Andrew Amanovin joins me. Andrew, you've been on the podcast recently, so I'm sure listeners will recognize your voice, but thanks for being with me again. You are our reliability and new product development guru. Can, can we call you a guru? I think we can. <laughs> sure. I'll take that. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, good to be here, uh, Adrian, again, and this is going to be an interesting topic, I hope. Yeah, so today we are going through test to failure. So test to failure in electronics, hardware engineering, if you want to give it its full title. So I suppose this is what this again is another one of those topics that's related to product reliability, which is absolutely your wheelhouse. And for the listeners who are tuning in, what you're going to go through, you're going to go through why test to failure is important, what is involved, you know, why, if you are bringing new uh, electromechanical products to market in specifically, although test to failure can be used for lots of different kinds of products, as I'm sure you'll go into, this is one of the types of reliability testing that you're going to do on your product. So without further ado, Stop number one in this episode is to just explain, you know, what is test of failure? Yeah, I mean, I, I, this, we're living in a world nowadays that electronics is pretty much, uh, part of us, right? We're carrying a mobile phone, a laptop, and, um, sometimes there's some medical products and pacemakers, a whole bunch of stuff that we're dealing with that. Basically, they need to be re- reliable and they need to be durable. We need to be able to count on these equipment that we're using. And so, of course, it kind of poses all kinds of challenges for designing and uh, manufacturing of these types of sorts of products. But one of the things that uh, most, uh, let's say, electronic companies are doing nowadays are making sure that they do some sort of test of failure for their hardware. And in fact, you could do similar for software as well. And then by doing this, you're really trying to find the limits of your product. And test of failure is not just hardware. I mean, you could do engineering. Uh, we're talking like electronics, voltage, and current test of failure, meaning you know, you, you, you want to test something, uh, uh, that you want to, you want to make sure it can handle certain excessive voltage, you know, or, mm-hmm. or excessive current. Like if the current jumps a little bit, uh, for example, let's just say, uh, there was some, um, uh, thunder and lightning happening and somehow a bit of electricity jump uh, in your TV. You don't want your TV. Uh, because of high voltage coming down all the way down the chimney to, to be able to, to, uh, burn so quickly. Explode. So, yeah. Or, or even explode. Uh, so for that reason, uh, a lot of uh, companies are doing test or failure to make sure mm. that the products can at least handle certain excessive conditions, uh, in, in terms of environmental, uh, risks or in terms of, uh, risk of increase in current or voltage. So all of these are trying to be built into the product, or product to make it slightly more rugged than uh, just what the normal operating conditions would be. Mm. So you're pushing the limits 
in order that when you finally make the product, you can be sure that the product will be able to cope with maybe use or conditions beyond what it will be normally in. So there's a bit of redundancy there. Yeah, yeah, you said it right. So you're, you're pushing, uh, you're trying to uh, achieve two objectives, really. Uh, one, you're pushing to the, the product to the limits to understand what the limit of the product is. For example, let's say you're designing the product to handle 100 volts. Well, if you don't test it beyond 100, you're not going to know. Is it going to uh, fail at 100? Is it going to fail at 101, 102, 110, mm. 115? What? So you need to push that so that you can say, oh, well, okay, it's really operating condition is 100 volts, but it can go up to 120. No problem, no failure, you see? So now you have 20% roughly margin of failure. And that is the reliability. Basically, you have enough margin in there so that it's not going to quickly fail if the voltage was fluctuating between 100 and 110. Mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So th- that's uh, that's sort of um, setting the scene. So we know we know why we're doing it. We know what it is. Why then, let's go into a bit more detail, why does tester failure matter so much to anyone that's actually developing and bringing a new product to market? Well, it matters because in our daily lives, uh, you know, we're using so much electronics, we don't even know it. You know, as I mentioned, Mm. smartphones, laptops, medical products, even, uh, you know, the the cars that we're using. So the reliability of these devices are really, really important to our lives, pretty much. I mean, if you're in a in a car and it breaks down, I mean, you, you basically your whole day is shot. Uh, if you have a mobile phone and all of a sudden doesn't work, boy, uh, you're really going to feel like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to be in touch with anybody. I have no internet. And what about all the files and photos, you know, in there? So mm-hmm. uh, they're all part of our uh, lives now. And, and, and so for that reason, it is critical for these products to to be reliable, and and I think that um, I can at least think of five reasons why this is important. We need to be able to do test of failure to understand the weaknesses and identify the weaknesses uh, that are in the design. It could be all kinds of related issues. It could be design, it could be materials, it could be components that we use uh, on those. Mm -hmm. We need to understand where the weaknesses are by doing these tests, and we need to eliminate those weaknesses. We need to strengthen the the components. We need to uh, make the uh, materials better so it can uh, last to that uh, limit of the test that we want to the marginal liability that we want. And number two, uh, I would say safety uh, is, is one of the most important things. We, we want to make sure that if there was a fluctuation, like you talked about your TV exploding, <laughs> you know, mm. what, if, what if the same thing goes for your mobile phone? Oh my God, people put that on their, uh, uh, on their, you know, uh, pockets right over the above, above their head, their heart, right? Right, right on yeah. that. I mean, imagine if this, you know, battery explodes. I mean, it'll just shatter your heart. I mean, it, it is very, very yeah. important for these things to be uh, reliable and not create a dangerous and unsafe 
situation. So, uh, so this is one of the reasons when you're doing test of failure, you want to make sure if it's battery, it's not going to explode. If it is, uh, anything else, it's not going to create a condition where it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. And then of course, yeah. you know, from there we could go into quality control. I mean, in a manufacturing environment, if you do test a failure, it is really going to improve your uh, production run. You know, you, you're going to be able to understand how to test a product because now that, now that you know the limits, you can uh, test a product within the uh, operational limits, which you know it's going to be safe in the manufacturing environment, and it's going to be able to control the limits of the test. For example, if your voltages are fluctuating between 100 and 110 and you did the test of failure and you know that okay it's safe up to 130 volts but in manufacturing you have to test it for 100 and 110 because that's the operating conditions and then you want to make sure that because you've test you've done the test of failure when the staff in manufacturing production line are doing these tests they're not going to be injured uh, there's not going to be a manufacturing fire, you know. So, so not only is safe for production, but also it keeps the production under control in terms of what you're trying to manufacture. So it follows certain standards, um, and uh, and basically it's just a a good way of best in class manufacturing. It's a good way to do things. And then, of course, cost reduction is one of the most important thing. You know, if you know the limits of your products then you can say, well, you know, that that's really too much durable or there's no need for us to build a product that is going to be, for example, up to 200 volts or it's going to last uh, forever and never fail, right? Mm-hmm. So so it gives you an idea of um, whether or not uh, is it's a product that is within the cost uh, of your mm-hmm. limits of your product or maybe uh, you designed this product and you realized, oh, my God, it's actually failing early, earlier than what we expected. Uh, once, for example, if it's uh, on a hot conditions or cold conditions or certain environmental situation. And so that means that, OK, now you have to spend more money to make it more, mm-hmm. more rugged, more durable. So it, it could be really uh, going both ways. It could be a, a, in a situation, test of failure could be showing you a situation where you need to spend more money to make mm. your product a little bit more durable. And it, and the test of failure could also show you the results of the test of failure could also show you that, uh, it, it's too much durable and, and there's no need to be, uh, so reliable, you know, and, 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 and I think that's all good for the for the customers and and the the cost of product returns which you've written about before and well spoken about for sure and you know and and fulfilling warranty claims and things like that i mean that those costs are no joke once that starts happening for sure that that is one of the most important thing you know cost of returns is um it can be hectic if Mm. you have a product that doesn't meet a certain design and or usability requirements. And for sure, this could, this test of failure result, if done, uh, in a right 
And if, if they have been implemented in the whole design and development process, definitely could reduce uh, the, you know, the costs in the long run. And it could impact um, the field returns, meaning that you could have a lower field returns and higher customer satisfaction because of knowing your your product mm-hmm. limit. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the last part uh, that I think is important is innovation. So when you're doing test of failure, honestly, uh, you could run into situations where uh, you could accidentally find products and components that could last forever and very durable. And you'll be like, oh, my God, you know, this thing unexpectedly is actually performing a lot more than a lot better than I expected. Why? And then you get into it and you find out that the materials and or specifications used in that component and or material is actually exceeding your expectations. Prob- probably is a discovery for your company that could you could actually patent it. Uh, mm-hmm. You could uh, create better products and components or materials from that. So there are a lot of innovations happens when you're doodling with test of failure. You know, I, I think there was this one guy uh, that was doodling with certain materials and he accidentally ran into a material that it can handle a lot of heat. And um, mm. I saw a demo of that somewhere where he was torching an egg because he had covered the egg with this material. He was torching the egg and the egg wouldn't boil at all, wouldn't cook. Um, and, yeah, and 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 I heard that they're using this sort of material underneath the space shuttle, so to prevent from any kind of a, a heat related issues when space shuttle is actually entering to uh, the Earth atmosphere. So, hmm. so, so these are results of innovation because as because of somehow somebody was doing some test of failure and then accidentally ran into these kind of inventions Hmm. Hmm. if we go back to the weaknesses point you mentioned that by pushing these limits you're going to possibly find weaknesses in your let's say product that you might not see when it's being used normally because of course we are looking at the limits here i remember a while ago you mentioned an example of I think it was refrigerators in the US where they were working fine in like the northern states and maybe like the Midwest and whatever. But as soon as you started putting them into like homes in Florida, they were failing. The like the motors or something in them were failing because the fridges were being forced to operate in a much hotter and more humid environment. And whoever had manufactured the fridge hadn't well, they they presumably hadn't tested for this and hadn't taken it into account, and it cost a lot in, you know, warranty repairs. Yeah, I, I kind of forgot the case study that we did on that one, but yes, you're right. It was a very reputable, important manufacturer those days. But this was mm. right at the beginning uh, when uh, you know there was not much understanding of how reliability is important to product. And so, yeah, exactly what happened. As you mentioned, they, they they designed and manufactured these refrigerators, and it was working fine under normal, uh, let's say, room temperature, and maybe even a little bit colder temperature was okay. 
But mm-hmm. then uh, when it was in a hotter temperatures like Hawaii and re- humid temperatures like uh, Florida, then it would stop. It would just uh, the motors would start burning. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. way too many failures happening. And the company pretty much went almost bankrupt because of this this issue. And and I've actually myself experienced uh, an example similar to that where the company went pretty much almost out of business because every one of their power amplifiers were failing in the field and they didn't know what was going on. And they lost almost four of their big customers. And there was only one customer left at the time. They asked me to come in and have a look and see if I can fix it. And then when I evaluated the product, I found out that most of these products they were developing used a certain fan to cool down the internal temperature of the product. Mm. And if the internal temperature was not cooled down to a certain operating temperature, the transistors would just basically fry it because they, they were reaching really, really high temperatures. And so I uh, wanted to understand why these fans were actually failing. I developed a test case for it and we started testing these fans. And uh, oh my golly, we noticed that uh, when the when the fans reached about 52 and 53 degrees C, they mm-hmm. would just basically stop and, and fail. And then I looked at their data sheet. I noticed that in the data sheet, it said max temperature 50 C. So it was understandable. We were running those those fans beyond its operating condition, which was 50C max. And so we talked to our designers and, and engineers and they say, hey, did you know that you picked a, a part that is basically uh, failing uh, when the temperature is increased? And he said, well, no, I, I picked a fan that uh, is going to be at least beyond room temperature. And I said, you see, what you don't understand is that the room temperature is okay, but inside these units, you have a lot of transistors running very, very hot. And if there's no fans inside, it could reach up to 70C even. Wow. And, and it was very, very like eye-opening for this design engineer. I think he was kind of a junior level he was like, really? I said, yeah, come here, I'll show you. And he touched one of the heat sinks and it almost burned his hand. And it was like, oh, wow, I had no idea. I said, yeah, so you specced, you picked a part that was basically not the right part. So he said, okay, what do you recommend? I said, well, you probably need to pick a part, a fan that is going to be at least handling up to 65 or 70 C. And he said, well, how do I know that? I said, easy. So let's run this internal temperature and check it and see what's the max internal temperature without the fan running. He said, oh, good idea. And we checked it and it was right on the top, right right about 65, 70 C. So we picked a fan that could go 70, 75 degrees C without failing. And then basically we fixed the problem, no more issues. Mm, interesting but yeah that's that does really illustrate it well so yeah that's a good one from your own experience cool all right 
So, I mean, at this point, we've been through, we know what test failure is. We know why it matters in, in terms of the sort of benefits that you're going to get. And some may be a little bit unexpected, I suppose, uh, like cost reduction and, you know, driving more innovation when you're actually developing and designing products. But how at this point do we do this kind of testing? How, how, what sort of methodologies can we follow? Yeah, that's a great question. So one simple methodology is just basically doing room temperature test and pushing the limits of your design. So that could be like voltage and current just to see what happens. This will be like starting point. And you could do that on your bench test while while you're designing your product. You could say, well, okay, everything is being all equal under room room condition, room temperature condition. So let's see what happens if I push the current a little bit, you know, beyond the limits of the operating condition. Well, let's see what happens if I push the um, voltage slightly higher than what it's supposed to be. And that could give you some indication of what kind of failures you could expect. The next thing to do is to run some kind of accelerated life test, and we call that ALT in reliability. And under higher temperature conditions and lower temperature conditions, and maybe even humidity, you want to know what happens to the product under test. And and that is not even adding a higher voltage or higher current. We're just talking about just what happens under those environmental conditions, higher temperatures, higher, lower temperatures, and uh, higher humidity conditions. And if you didn't find any issues, now you add other variables. So let's, let's run that same test, but this time we increase or reduce the voltages and maybe critical voltages. And let's see what happens. And then what happens if no issues happen? And we're not talking about like uh, ex- excessively increasing the voltage. You could, although, you know, but we're talking about increasing the voltage and current beyond what the operation condition would be. If, if the operating mm-hmm. condition is five volts and now you push in 5.5 and six volt, uh, is that margin of reliability? Is it going to be okay? And you, all the tests that you're doing, you're doing it on a reasonable hunch that this condition could happen. If the condition never happens, there's no need to test. But if there is a, a possibility that the voltage could increase slightly or could decrease under a certain environmental condition, then you must test for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That That's just one, right? ALT. Great. Okay, so that's uh, that, that's ALT, accelerated live testing. So, what's what's next in terms of methodologies then? Well, the next thing that you could do is uh, high stress testing. This mm. type of testing is mostly to check and see if any of your components, you know, transistors, caps, resistors. I mean, active parts, passive parts. You kind of want to know if all of those are going to be okay under high-stress 
environment and, and high stress could be anything. It could be excessive voltage, excessive current. It could also be environmental conditions like, for example, high temperature, low temperature, uh, high humidity. You want to know if these high stress conditions could actually cause any kind of component damage or component failure. Um, and, and that's really important because some of your components may not be able to handle certain amount of humidity or vibration or, or certain excessive voltage and current. And so you really need to know that. In fact, honestly, this is one of the most critical tests actually when it comes to aviation you know like you're you're building an airplane you want to make sure that this airplane is coming down to like ground level room temperatures to ambient temperatures like around 25 20 to 30 degree but then what happens when this airplane goes way up to 50,000 mm. or 30,000 feet we're talking minus 50 degree c at that level it is so cold and um, all kinds of things can can fall apart at that level if if your components can handle it so yeah it it's it's this these are definitely critical tests along the same line of course environmental testing right you want to make sure that you know similar to that refrigerator example you you talked about you know if your product is going to be in extreme temperatures extreme uh humidity conditions, vibration uh, situation, like, you know, during the transportation and, and shock. You want to make sure that your, your product has enough resilience and durability built in so it can handle real-world situations. I remember I was uh, a tourist in the Amazon jungle, and I took a Sony SLR digital camera with me. Those days I was all all about the photography. And I took some great photos from the Amazon jungle. But when I was right in the middle of the jungle with, uh, you know, the tour guide, it, it started getting extremely humid. It got to a point that the humidity actually got in, inside my electronics and I couldn't turn on my digital camera anymore. It just failed. Mm. Uh, and I, for you know, making sure that uh, all the internal electronics doesn't fry. I took the battery out and I put my camera inside my clothes, my bag. And then when I got home, I used a, a hair dryer to dry it and let it outside in a, how do you say, air-conditioned and dry environment. And it mm -hmm. took like four or five days or a week for this internal humidity, actually all the wetness inside to dry and for my electronic camera to be able to come back and work. So, oh, you did rescue it though. I did rescue. I was lucky. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah because I had, those days I paid thousand dollars for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the environmental testing is is extremely important when it comes to test of failure. And then there is the cyclical loading. You know, this could be anything. This could be, for example, your. Uh, loading your product and unloading your product you're, you're testing your product under load under no load uh and this loading and unloading can actually uh make a big difference on your components some components can't handle 
the huge loading and unloading or under, especially under um, stressful and conditions such as, for example, vibration and service cycling, you know, and if these conditions are not tested, they're going to be tested by the users eventually. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because depending on what that product is, if that product normally needs to be tested by load for loading and unloading, and if you don't do that through test of failure, well, you're looking at all kinds of returns for that product for sure. Mm -hmm. And one of the important things that I have to say, Adrian, that a lot of companies might forget about it is continuous monitoring of all the improvements that they have done. Basically, what happens usually is that something breaks and engineering comes in and places, does a fix on it, you know, and, um, and the issue goes away. But most often everyone is so busy that nobody goes back and says, okay, well, we fixed this a month ago. Can we do some monitoring and see if there's any more failures coming in related to this failure uh, mm-hmm. that we had before? Um, is this fixed forever or are we still seeing failures? And that monitoring is so important because if you don't monitor, then you don't really know if the fix was effective or not. And so mm-hmm. sometimes test the failure in those kinds of situations will be another way of uh, checking for monitoring from monitoring point of view. And so you're pushing the product to see all those fixes actually made the product durable and you're not seeing those issues that we're seeing before. And this mm-hmm. is perfect, specifically a good for, or especially good for sensor type product, data acquisition type of product, but really applies for all kinds, you know, and, and I think it's very important to do to monitor uh, your product when there is, maybe it used to be a failure, but you want to check again. I remember like a week or two ago, you were on the podcast with Renault and you were talking about the lessons learned database. Would you potentially add this sort of information into into those sorts of um, databases? So whoever comes along next will see, you know, what sort of reliability uh, outcomings came from this testing. Absolutely. Great point. I think that, you know, all of these testing that you're doing, there are some lessons learned all the time. You know, you're realizing that you, you tested it beyond a certain capability and mm-hmm. either you learned something great about the product, like it's durable up to a certain temperatures that nobody expected, or it's constantly failing be, before or prior to the operation limit. And that is mm-hmm. not acceptable. So yeah, all of these information, lessons learned, goes into a lesson learned database. And uh, when a similar product and or the next generation of that same product that is being going to be an upgrade to what the existing product is, is very important for those same engineers or designers, especially new designers and new engineers, they need to understand what went on before and the history of that product before they actually upgrade the product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you might, I guess you might find a uh, situation where you've got 
a part has been worked on, a component, and you find that it is still going to be absolutely fine for your new product or new version of the product that uh, as that it was for the past version that you're phasing out because you found that it was durable up to well above and beyond what was needed, you know, obviously within reason. So there's no reason to go out and source a new part. So whoever comes along and looks at the database, they're like, yep, okay, we can keep using that one. Exactly. And, and you hit on it right there. So you, you want to make sure that uh, everyone uh, uses the uh, lessons learn database as part of the normal process of the design. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've taken us through the methodologies that you're probably going to be using when you're doing test of failure. You've mentioned in passing some of the kinds of industries or products that you might be testing to failure. I mean, basically, anybody can use this particular methodology, test of failure, to learn about their products. But let's just go through quickly. I mean, just, just to make it very clear, the sorts of products and industries that this is typically going to be seen in? Yeah, I, I think that this particular uh, test, test of failure, is very common in airspace, automotive, uh, consumer electronics, medical devices, and industrial equipment. Uh, definitely is very, very common in airspace and automotive and consumer electronics and medical devices. And <laughs> that covers mm-hmm. all, right? So... um I know that uh, if they don't do such a test, there would be a lot of major risk, risks related to actually durability and reliability of that product. And yeah. airspace, for example, you could have aircraft falling off the sky uh, if there is a component failures. And automotive, there could be injuries, Um you know, mm. for example, remember the airbag that uh, yep. was not, you know, done right and and it was causing all kinds of people injuries. Uh, consumer electronics, the same thing, you know, it could be catching fires because of faulty battery. Uh, I think mm. uh, a good example would be uh, the Note 7 that Samsung is <laughs> talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Sa- Sa- Samsung are going to love us. Right, right. We we always bring that one up in the podcast, but it is so true. It is just one of those uh, epic uh, reliability failures that you just mm-hmm. could not imagine because people couldn't even get on the airplane because of that, you know. And yeah, absolutely. Some, some people completely switched from Android to iPhone because of that. So it was it was just a very important thing. But yeah, I think I think those are the huge uh, applications um, industry within the industries. But let's talk about some of the challenges that some of these companies could could face. I mean, if you're talking about doing test of failure, for example, in automotive, let me just give you a picture. Let's say you're doing test of failure on a BMW, you know, seven series. How much Mm -hmm. how much of those cars cost? Oh, oh, I would guess. I don't know. Maybe like seventy thousand dollars. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, up to 150 in US. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're testing a hundred thousand dollar car, and you're probably not gonna find all the issues with one test, and you probably mm. can't do one test in one in one car. So you probably have to demolish and destroy uh, up to 
10 cars is very common, right? Mm. So that's 10 times 100,000. That's about, uh, what, a million dollars loss? Mm. Right. That That's just one product. But if you don't do it, then you're going to pay a lot more if that product fails while someone gets injured, right? Right. So, uh, the amount of money you're going to pay in liability and lawsuits and loss of good customers could be a lot more than a couple of millions. So, so that's why they do that. And then the challenges of how to do that. I mean, we're talking months and months of testing, uh, having a very specialty environmental uh, lab that can actually do these test failures. Mm. And then, of course, when you're done, what are you going to do with all those parts you have to properly dispose of? So that there are no in, environmental conditions, so uh, no environmental people coming after you. So that's just mm-hmm. one industry. I mean, you could go to airspace, you could go to consumer electronics, and you run into all kinds of challenges. Um, just the fact that we're, we're dealing with that. I mean, it could be safety hazard conditions, could be uh, resource intensive conditions where a lot of people are working on one product just trying to do mm. test failure okay but this makes me think though uh, test to failure is quite a wasteful process now before we start thinking well hang on that's that sounds really bad i think we have to put it into context right as you've mentioned with the example with um you know testing the bmw 7 series for example right yes you are destroying cars and that means you know maybe thousands and thousands of parts are going to go into waste right but if we consider if you don't do this testing you're going to have millions of cars being recalled you're going to have to pull out lots of components from those those all get scrapped Actually, the waste involved in that, you've got all of the, you know, you've got all of the emissions, the fuel to get cars back into the garage. You've got all the, you know, the work that's got to be done, the scrapped parts. Then you've got to have new parts put onto them. All of this could have been avoided if you did the test to failure. So it's actually, although you are producing some waste, you are really preventing a lot more than you're going to produce. Yeah, exactly. And I think the word waste is kind of a negative word. Sure. And it, it, it kind of, kind of hides all the usefulness that comes out of this kind of a test. So mm. I think that it's all useful. Uh, uh, useful is the right word, I think. Right. Because basically everything that you're doing on this test, it results in huge amount of, uh, exactly what you said conservation in 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 terms of product reliability in terms of improvements in the environmental conditions it really helps product to be more reliable and more durable so it lasts long and Mm. if it lasts long then you'll own one product that you love and instead of buying several products that after a while will will die and you have to waste it and you have to throw way uh and that itself is environmentally actually a, a green product when you, when it's durable so durability Absolutely. really improves the environment on, mm. on. so mm. yeah i think 
if I had to conclude on this, I would say test of failure is critical in pretty much electron, all kinds of electronics, hardware engineering. It's, it's a task that pretty much every company should do to ensure reliability and safety of their product. And by subjecting the product and the components to extreme uh, environmental conditions and or mm. extreme electronics condition, like, for example, in, in increasing or pushing the limits of the voltage and current and trying to find the weaknesses uh, in your product, all of these basically ends up being a better product and yeah. uh, more durable, more reliable, and uh, more cost-effective product. And really improves your design. So you get, once you've done this, let's say once or twice, the next generation of the product, you probably don't need to do it anymore because you mm. know limits and you know what components you're going to use. Yeah. So, so in the original product, it's a must, but in the upcoming generations, you may not have to do it. Mm. Doesn't hurt to do it, but you may not have to do it. Interesting point. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, well, th there you go. So that's taken us really neatly to the close. And that's test of failure. I've loved it. I think that's really helpful, Andrew. Thanks for coming on to uh, to go into that topic. Absolutely, Adrian. Always nice to be here. As ever, we will be back next week with another episode. And hopefully we will, of course, get Andrew along soon as well to join us on the pod and we'll be back with you soon. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.